tears on my pillow that won't dry on their own beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. about the delay. Our sound guys are home with the flu cold. Got a case of the sniffles. Got a case of the sniffles or the flu. So um, welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by that fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Chris. And I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Mike Chase. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. And please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. Uh, the coffee area is open, but let's not make too much of a distraction going back and get coffee for the folks next to you. This might be a very important meeting for them. Also, refrain from disturbing others by talking between each other and constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the med- meditation, some suggestions are we need for you to focus on your breath. As it goes in, you know, breathe in through your nose and just let it sit and meditate inside your lungs and let it out with a... It's going to be three minutes of, of some monk chats to just concentrate on the breathing and that in three minutes. And I guarantee you when you come out of this in three minutes, the day is going to be over and you will be here starting anew. It's very relaxing. All right. Anything, Should... suggestions on your end? Are we good? Yeah. Why don't we focus on breathing in God, breathe out self, get reconnected to God and ask him to help you stay focused on the step study. Are we all Lights set? go off. Meditation kicks in, hopefully.
So we're going to start off with the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, just mumble along. God, God, let your love shine through us like a fog light. So those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through us. So it's our secretary report, and tonight that be Miss Tanisha, and she's in the house. Hi. Hello, my name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked James to read the recover statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. All right, uh, that would make sense. My name is James, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, James. We are not cured of alcoholism, recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forty style big book sponsorship from Ford to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of Alcoholics Anonymous who came to AA really tried. Fifty percent got sobered at once and remained that way. Twenty five percent sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time. Neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. In the back, we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red book, and big book dictionaries for sale. We'll be willing to make a deal with you after the meeting. <laughs> we meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, but some of us show up at 5.30 to help set up and 6.30 to just get to know each other a little better. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. See you next week. All right, from the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there's a solution, also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we've discovered a common solution. We have a way out which we can absolutely agree upon and which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. That's the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. And on the thing of anonymity, we podcast this meeting, so we're going to be recording this. And if you don't want your voice out on the Internet for other people to hear, just pass the microphone off to the person next to you or disguise your voice really well. One of the two. Could we get a show of hands of people joining us for the first time? Wow, welcome. Glad you guys are here. Could we please have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? And leave your hands up. If your hand's not up, I suggest you talk to the folks whose hands are up. Wow, we got a bunch of recovered ones in here today. Look at that. Boom. 
While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. So does anyone not have a big book in front of you right now? It's a big book study, so it's kind of important to have one in front of you. Good. Welcoming team did their job. Before we begin our study of the big book tonight, last week we reviewed Tradition 9-ish, 10-ish, and tonight we're going to review Tradition 11. Please refer in the unabridged book, these big ones, page 562, and the little ones in front of you to page 177. Ryan's going to read the short form, the long form, and then give us his take on what that means. Hey, everyone. I'm Ryan, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. And tonight we're doing Tradition 11. It's going to be short and sweet tonight. Um, So in the short form... Uh, Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And then in the long form, our our relations with the general public should be characterized by personal anonymity. We think AA ought to avoid sensational advertising. Our names and pictures as AA members ought not be broadcast, filmed, or publicly printed. Our public relations should be guided by the principles of attraction Rather than promotion, there is never need to praise ourselves. We feel it better to let our friends recommend us. Um, all right. Uh, so the first thing that I notice about Tradition 11 is that it teaches us humility on an individual level. Because um, basically what this tradition is talking about is placing principles before personalities. Um, so it's not to say that we haven't been greatly helped by friends from the press. Uh, actually, it's just the opposite. Uh, the 12 and 12 says that without its legions of well-wishers, A could never have grown as it has, though the world, through the world, immense and favorable publicity of every description has been the principal means of bringing alcoholics into our fellowship. Um, so in the summer of 1939, our founding fathers were stuck with 5,000 copies of the book Alcoholics Anonymous sitting in a publisher's warehouse. Um, things weren't looking very good for them uh, because an article that was supposed to appear in Reader's Digest fell through. And they were counting on that article to spread the word of our program. Uh, Then Fulton Ausler, who was then editor of Liberty Magazine, received a letter from Charles Towns, uh, the proprietor of Towns Hospital. And Towns painted such a glowing picture of AA that Ausler decided to put a piece in his magazine called Alcoholics and God, which is a great name for a meeting, by the way. Um, And by the end of that year, our membership shot up from less than 100 members to 800 members. Uh, Demand for the book was in full swing. Um, Ausler's article wasn't the only publicity that we received. Uh, there was the John D. Rockefeller dinner. There was Jack Alexand- Alexander's article in the Saturday Evening Post. Um, that's just to name a few. And all of these were instrumental in AA's development. Um, but eventually, we had to make a decision as to what our public relations policy was going to be. And that was when we decided that it would, be, it would rely on attraction rather than promotion. Um, it's not like we're some kind of secret society. Um, actually, on the contrary, we carry the message whenever and wherever we can. Uh, but, we do, but we do have to be aware that self-appointed messiahs speaking for AA uh, through public media can do a lot of damage to AA. Um, the personal anonymity that this tradition talks about protects AA as a whole and not so much the individual alcoholic. Um, I think what Tradition 11 is basically saying is that it's not about me. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't need a spokesperson because the example of what working a program does for the alcoholic speaks volumes. Um, Besides, what would happen if our so-called spokesperson fell off the wagon? What would people think of AA? You know, would people start to think that it doesn't work? 
Um, so we don't want to we don't want to scare a prospective newcomer away because of one person's actions. Um, so I just want to wrap up this tradition with something that I read in Language of the Heart that I feel like sums it up pretty well. Good public relations are a lifelines reaching out to the alcoholic who still does not know us. For years to come, our growth is sure to depend upon the strength and number of these lifelines. One serious public relations calamity could always turn thousands away from us to perish, a matter of life and death indeed. So that's all I've got for Tradition 11. Thanks, In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Um, pick tonight's reader. That would be Brandon tonight. Brandon's going to be doing our reading. We're in the Dr. Bob's Nightmare tonight. So welcome Brandon up for us all. We'll get you started in a few minutes. Um, after the book is read by Brandon, we're going to ask questions from the podium starting at the top of the page. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified. And multi-part questions are simply one sentence that's split up by a bunch of commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're <clears> going to read the material once through and then redissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. Um, this, is important. this is important because hearing the question and then rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experience with this information, you are free to share. If you don't, feel free to ask a question or later on after the meeting, run it by some other people. However, Big Book Study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different setting, i.e. sponsorship, halfway house meeting uh, setting, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. Come help us set up and get to know us. Yeah, so you can never go wrong by just commenting on the page we just read, which brings us to the words of the co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcoholism through the teachings and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous. This is our 83rd session so far going through here, and we're in uh, Dr. Bob's nightmare. We just didn't like roll some dice and say, hey, let's do Dr. Bob's tonight. We started 83 weeks ago on page zero, which was the forwards. We feel it's really important to start in the forwards because if you're being asked or looking into joining an organization, that's probably going to be the main part of your life for hopefully the rest of your life. It's kind of important to know what you're getting into. So the forwards is an opportunity to introduce the fellowship and the, of Alcoholics Anonymous, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, some of the struggles and some of the successes and what we're really here for so that we know what we're getting into. <clears throat> we don't want to have you thinking you're joining something and have it be entirely not what you think it is. So we do a lot of study of the forward, so you know what you're getting into, which leads us to a next chapter, which sort of explains why we're the way we are, and that's called... The Doctor's Opinion. The Doctor's Opinion was written by Dr. William D. Silkworth. He was the chief physician at Towns Hospital in New York City in the 30s, and he lays out what the disease of alcoholism is. What is it that I suffer from? And it's this three-part disease. We got the spiritual malady. We got the physical allergy to alcohol. Once I put a drink in my body, I want more and more and more. And I got this mental obsession, which basically means that I will always have a senseless series of sprees. And all the reasons for not drinking will be crowded out in favor of the foolish idea. Well, that comes later, but the doctor's opinion breaks it down in the letter about what alcoholism is. And then we get to see it in action in the life of 
Bill. Bill. So we got Bill's story, which brings the forward and the doctor's opinion to life. We see a normal, everyday kind of guy who discovers alcohol, enjoys alcohol, learns to abuse alcohol. It soon takes over his life. He tries to struggle to quit. He can't. A solution's brought to him. He wasn't too happy with it. Luckily, Ebby was able to tweak the solution a little bit. Bill got sober, and he changed his life helping others. But, you know, where'd that whole God thing come from? You know, if you go to an AA meeting every once in a while, you hear a lot of God talk. So we want to know where the God talk comes from, and that's the, called There's a Solution. There is a Solutions Chapter 2 in our big book. It's the basic text for our society, and it breaks down two powers. We've got the power of the fellowship. The power of the fellowship is very strong, and, but that's only one element in the powerful cement that binds us. The other element is the tremendous fact, the common solution, and that is the path to the spiritual experience. We have these 12 steps that if you practice them thoroughly, the way they're outlined in this book, they'll bring about this entire psychic change. So there is a solution lays out and hints at what the two powers in this fellowship are, the power of the fellowship and the power of the program of action. And then after there is a solution, just knowing about the program, is that going to do the trick? Absolutely not. So we got a chapter called More About Alcoholism. You know, we got the forwards, the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, and there's a solution. There's a lot to digest there, and there's a lot of work that's going on there. And if you're anything like me, you're going to look for the easier, softer way and try and do the least amount of work. And the More About Alcoholism shows what happens to the alcoholic who doesn't completely give themselves to this program, who doesn't follow through with an active program of recovery. We call it the chapter on relapse, you know, because an untreated alcoholic is going to end up Drinking. Yeah, that's what we do. So we, we see what that looks like in, in More About Alcoholism. So I get out of more, of more About Alcoholism. I've been painted into a corner. I have to develop this relationship with a higher power, God, whatever I want to call it. And I don't really think I'm going to because I might have a problem with God at this point in time, or I think I have a problem. So we got a whole chapter on that, and that's for the... Agnostics. Agnostics means without knowledge, and it talks about over half of the original fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous didn't know if they believed in God or a God personal to them. And so that's not actually a big obstacle to having the spiritual experience that we all need. Page 44 lays it out. If when you honestly want to, you find you can't quit entirely, or if when you're drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably alcoholic. And if that's the case, you're probably suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience will conquer. And it kind of lays out the, uh, the bridge of reason, the shore of faith, and how we might get to the spiritual experience if we don't necessarily believe or know if we believe in the idea of God. And after that, we should be ready uh, knowing that we need the program of action and knowing that there really isn't any good reason for us not to follow through with the program of action. We should be ready for how it works. Yeah, which is uh, page 58. And that's ironic. You know, there's 48, there's 57 pages, the forwards and the doctor's opinion before we get into the part where it's like, I'm here, I have to do something about it. And we discuss the fact that myself is self-centered is basically me not having a relationship with God. So I make a decision, my third step decision to turn my life, which is my thinking and my actions, which is and my life, my will and my action, my, my will and my life over to care of God as I understand him. And we have a third step where we take that we start that. But I have to find out the stuff that's blocking me from God. And that's our fourth step. And we go through our resentments, our fears, our sex conduct and harms inventory to find out the major stuff that's blocking me from having a healthy relationship with God. Now, I look at the fourth step and I can see who I am. But being an alcoholic, I'm completely actually I'm a human being. So I'm completely incapable of being completely honest with myself. So I have a whole chapter with somebody else helping me to see who I really am. And that's when we need to start to get into into action and into action. There's a lot of meat, meat and potatoes in that chapter. We got seven, seven whole steps and it starts off with fifth step instructions. Why a solitary self appraisal in step four is insufficient. You know, uh, we need to look at these defects of character that come out in step six and seven in a fifth step with our sponsor 
be entirely willing to have them removed. And if we're not willing, what do we do? We pray for the willingness. Then we say the seventh step prayer. We got eight and nine instructions and we got 10 and 11 instructions. And 10 and 11, it kind of lays out, this is all in the same chapter, mind you, uh, lays out our design for living. And we're going to commence that way of living while we clean up the past, which means while we're doing our ninth step amends, we are commencing to live the way outlined in Into Action. After Into Action, there's really only one step left because we've done one through 11 at this point. And that entire last chapter of the program of action is devoted to working with others. And if you're anything like me, I got more growth out of working with others than all the other chapters. The other chapters just got me started, got me a beginning to have this relationship with God. But the ability to take other alcoholics through the book of Alcoholics Anonymous to have a fellowship around me, that's what, I, that's what I'm living for, you know. So we, working with others is the gift and it's also the most intense, it's the best way to stay sober. Nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking than Casually work with alcoholics? I don't know if that's what it Intensively says. Intensively work with other alcoholics. So but it's right. going to give us some suggestions in, in working with others. A good 12-step call. And then everybody's got their own little branch of style of sponsoring. But, but if you base your work with others out of the book, I promise you, you can't go wrong. So now there's a bunch of other people in the world we have to start to help because we cause a lot of damage along the way. So Bill has these three chapters. We like to call them pre-Alanon. To the wives, to the family afterwards, and to the employers. These are great informationals for wives the family after, and to the employers. I like to read this with my sponsees because this is sort of like a master's degree in sponsorship because a lot of stuff in the wives, the family afterwards, and the employers that's going to make me a more, much more effective sponsor. And then we wrap it up, at least I do, with a vision for you with my folks about two months after we've done you know, the 12 steps. Give them an opportunity to see, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because if you read you know, a vision for you and none of it like, sounds like your life, you might need to do some adjustments. Hopefully you read it like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and it's a gift. Now, we're, gonna, we're just wrapping up the series now at the last chapter in Ode to Dr. Bob. It's uh, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. This, we like to, this is sort of like our non-conference-approved chapter. We get to talk about a bunch of stuff, and it's going to be really comfortable for a lot of you all because um, <laughs> you can actually talk about stuff and not be shushed. For, forbidden topics? Forbidden topics. <laughs> no. So we're going to stop in there tonight. Of course, every time we go into a new chapter, they've got the blue page which is a lot of information that was put together. You know, this book was done mainly by Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group with a lot of help of Joe and Charlie of Arkansas to help get it started. So, Dr. Bob's Nightmare, if you all want to turn to page 171, and we're going to read the introduction. Read the introduction to Dr. Bob's story. Again, we will be looking for the Me Too, and yes, that's the way it was for me. But we'll also be given a very strong lesson on our primary purpose at the end of the story, it will be a very powerful message. Is everybody able to find Dr. Bob's Nightmare? We'll have to change that here. General service, come on. <laughs> Let's have some continuity, right? Next, so, what's, so our first question. Well, actually, that was everything for Dr. Bob's Nightmare. We're jumping right into it. Oh, that's kind of strange. Cool. So let's turn to page 171, 165. <laughs> Oh, this is so going to make this difficult for me. Oh, my diddly do. Okay. So, can I get a pen real quick? It's in here. You can start reading from 165. Dr. Bob's Nightmare. A co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, the birth of our society dates from his first day of permanent sobriety, June 10th, 1935, <clears throat> to 1950. The year of his death, he carried the AA message to more than 5,000 alcoholic men and women, and to all these he gave his medical services without thought of charge. 
In this prodigy of service, he was well assisted by Sister Ignacia at St. Thomas Hospital in Akron, Ohio, one of the greatest friends and fellowship we'll ever know. I was born in a small New England village of about 7,000 souls. The general moral standard was, as I recall it, far above the average. No beer or liquor was sold in the neighborhood, except at the state liquor agency, where perhaps one might procure a pint if he could convince the agent that he really needed it. Without this proof, the expectant purchaser would be first forced to depart empty-handed with none of what I later came to believe was the great panacea for all human ills. Men who had liquor shipped in from Boston or New York by express were looked up with great distrust and disfavor by most of the good townspeople. The town was well supplied with churches and schools in which I pursued my early educational activities. My father was a professional man of recognized ability, and both my father and mother were most active in church affairs. Both father and mother were considerably above the average in intelligence. If you want to take a quick sort of a, if you compare Bill's story, which was raised in a non-religious, non-spiritual family, Dr. Bob's going to be quite the opposite. So keep that in mind as we're reading this, how the, the God put the Dr. Bob and Bill W. together. Unfortunately for me, I was the only child which perhaps engendered the selfishness which played such an important part in bringing on my alcoholism. From childhood through high school, I was more or less forced to go to church, Sunday school, and evening service. Monday night Christian endeavor and sometimes to, sometimes to Wednesday evening prayer meeting. This had the effect of making me resolve that when I was free from parental domination, I would never again darken the doors of a church. This resolution I kept steadfastly for the next 40 years, except when circumstances made it seem unwise to absent myself. After high school came, four years in one of the best colleges in, in the country where drinking seemed to be a major extracurricular activity. Almost everyone seemed to do it. I did it more and more and had lots of fun without much grief, either physical or financial. I seemed to be able to snack back the mo next morning better than most of my fellow drinkers who were cursed or perhaps blessed with a great deal of morning after nausea. Never once in my life had I had a headache, which fact leads to me to believe that I was an alcoholic most from the start. My whole life seemed to be centered around doing what I wanted to do without regard for the rights, wishes, or privileges of anyone else, a state of mind which became more and more predominant as the years passed. I was graduated summa cum laude in the eyes of the drinking fraternity, <laughs> but not in the eyes of the dean. I love that line. The next three years I spent in Boston, Chicago, and Montreal in the employee of a large manufacturing concern selling railway supplies, gas engines of all sorts, and many other items of heavy hardware. During these, during these years, I drank as much as my purse permitted, still without paying too great a penalty, although I was beginning to have morning jitters at times. I lost only a half day's work during these three years. My next move was to take up the study, the study of medicine, entering one of the largest universities in the country. There I took up the business of drinking with much great, greater earnestness than I had previously shown. On account of my enormous capacity for beer, I was elected to membership in one of the drinking societies and soon became one of the leading spirits. Many mornings I have gone to classes and even though fully prepared, 
would turn and walk back into the fraternity house because of my jitters, not daring to enter the classroom for fear of making a scene should I be called on for uh, recitation. recitation. This went from bad to worse until sophomore spring when, after a prolonged period of drinking, I made up my mind that I could not complete my course. So I packed my, gri- packed my grip and went south to spend a month on a large farm owned by my friend of mine. When I got the fog out of my brain, I decided that quitting school was very foolish and that I had better return and continue my work. When I reached school, I discovered the faculty had other ideas on the subject. After much argument, they allowed me to return and take my exams, all of which I passed credibly. But they were much disgusted and told me they would attempt to struggle along with my presence. After, after many painful dis- discussions, they finally gave me my credits, and I migrated to another of the leading universities of the country and entered as junior that fall. Let's uh, we'll pause on that one. We'll start asking questions again from page 171. We got, uh, yeah, one's well, yeah, 165. Anybody else got a big book that? Out th- oh, thank you. So I'm not completely off base. That's the fatty patty. Good, thank you. All right, so 165 in the skinny mini, and we're going to start off the questions. Where was Dr. Bob born? I was born in a small New England village of about 7,000 souls. In his youth, what was far above, he was far above average? The general moral standard was, as I recall it, far above the average. Were beer and liquor readily available? No beer or liquor was sold in the neighborhood, except at the state liquor agency, where perhaps one might procure a pint if he could convince the agent that he needed it. Could anybody buy alcoholic beverages? Without this proof, the expectant purchaser would be forced to depart empty-handed with more or with none of what I later came to believe was a great panache for all human ills. How were the men who had booze imported looked upon? Men who had liquor shipped from Boston or New York by express were looked upon with great distrust and disfavor by most of the good townspeople. What facilities were plentiful in this town? The town was well supplied with churches and schools in which I pursued my early educational activities. How did he describe his parents? My father was a professional man of recognizability, and both my father and mother were most active in church affairs. <laughs> I love that voice. <laughs> what, about, what were his parents' IQs? Both father and mother were considerably above the average in intelligence. So you notice how the, the, they have this sneaky way of trying to break down the stereotypes of what alcoholics are. You know, the, the, we're bright, intelligent. We've got, you know, we do, we're not a bunch of doot-to-doos, you know. And he does this in so, such a nice way. This is the next paragraph, two-part question. Um, what did he consider to be an unfortunate situation, and what did he suspect it produced? Unfortunately for me, I was the only child, which perhaps engendered the selfishness, the selfishness which played such an important role such an important part in bringing on my alcoholism. Does anybody come from a big family? Were you selfish and self-centered? <laughs> that didn't have much to do with it, did it? Next question. In the early years, what was he forced to do? From childhood through high school, I was more or less forced to go to church, Sunday school, 
and evening service, Monday night Christian endeavor, and sometimes to Wednesday evening prayer meeting. What effect did this have on him? This had the effect of making me resolve that when I was free from parental domination, I would never again darken the doors of a church. Was he a man of his word? This resolution I kept steadfastly for the next 40 years, except when circumstances made it seem unwise to absent myself. Next paragraph. What came after high school? After high school came four years in one of the best colleges in the country where drinking seemed to be a major extracurricular activity. Was he in the minority? Almost everyone seemed to do it. How was his drinking? I did it more and more and had lots of fun without much grief, either physical or financial. What was he able to do that was better than most? I seemed to be able to snap back the next morning better than most of my fellow drinkers who were cursed or perhaps blessed with a great deal of morning after nausea. Two-part question. What did he never have and therefore he believed what? Never once in my life had I had a headache, which facts lead, lead me to believe that I was an alcoholic almost from the start. My whole life seemed to be centered around doing... Oh, no, that's another question. Oh. Thanks. You want to answer it? I'll, how about if I answer the question, you can do it. No, Alan's got it. Good. Next question. What was his life centered around without regard to what? My whole life seemed to be centered around doing what I wanted to do without regard for the rights, wishes, or privileges of anyone else, a state of mind which became more and more predominant as the years passed. Who can relate to that? Wow. With what distinction did he graduate? Last sentence of the, almost last paragraph of the last paragraph, actually. I was, gra- I-, I was graduated some Kalati in the eyes of drinking fretney, but not in the eyes of the dean. Chris, can you tell us what summa Kalati means? I think it means with highest honors. Yes. Okay. He lettered in drinking. It's a, it's a dead language. Next question. Next paragraph. <laughs> Next question. Where was he and what did he do for the next three years? The next three years I spent in Boston, Chicago, and Montreal in the employ of a large manufacturing concern, selling railway supplies, gas engines of all sorts, and many other items of heavy hardware. Salesman, how fun. What else did he do during these years? During these years, I drank as much as my purse permitted, still without paying too great a penalty although I was beginning to have morning jitters at times. So let's remember that jitters isn't hungover. Jitters is that phenomenon of craving that you start getting when you don't get the drink. So he's showing signs of the alcoholic phenomenon of craving just out of college. Um, Next question. How many days did he lose during those years due to drinking? I lost only a half day's work during these three years. Functioner, huh? Next paragraph. What was the next thing he did? My next move was to take up the study of medicine, entering one of the largest universities in the country. Besides studying medicine, what else did he do? There there I took up the business of drinking with much greater earnest than I had previously shown. 
to part question, to what was he elected? Part B, did he do well in the social group? On account. On account of my enormous capacity for beer, I was elected to membership in one of the drinking societies and soon became one of the leading spirits. What did he experience on many mornings? Many mornings I have gone to classes and even though fully prepared would turn and walk back to the fraternity house because of my jitters, not daring to enter the classroom for fear of making a scene should I be called on for recitation. Next paragraph. How did a soft, how did his sophomore year go? Part B. Since he found himself in trouble, what did he do? This went from from bad to worse until sophomore spring when, after a prolonged period of drinking, I made up my mind that I could not complete my course, so I packed my grip and went south to spend a month on a large farm owned by a friend of mine. Two-part question. After he dried out, what did he think? What did he do? When I got the fog out of my brain, I decided that quitting school was very foolish and that I had better run and continue my work. Next question. Did he have trouble getting back into school? When I reached school, I discovered the faculty had other ideas on the subject. Next question. What was he able to do? After much argument, they allowed me to return and take my exams, all of which I passed creditably. Was the faculty excited to have him back? But they were much disgusted, and they told me they would attempt to struggle along without my presence. That is so my story. What was he forced to do? After many painful discussions, they finally gave me my credits, and I migrated to another of the leading universities of the country and entered as a junior that fall. I think that's where we wrapped off last time, so this is open for conversation. Any, anything you picked out that you can share your own experience? Or, again, remember, this is, this is information that you can start sharing with folks that you work with. So if you've got anything that you can add to this, feel free. We probably want to start on page 171 if anybody's got any comments on that one. Open to the floor. 165. <laughs> one thing that just stands out to me is uh, on 167, there I took up the business of drinking with much greater earnestness than I had previously shown. It kind of talks about the progression of the disease, and it says in more about alcoholism over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And that seems to be the case early on in Dr. Bob's story. So, Does anybody else have uh, experience with the progression of this disease? Hmm. You know, it's interesting. This is one of the few stories that starts off with the ending. The co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, the birth of our society, dates from the first day of permanent sobriety, June 10th-ish, 1935, to 1950, the year of his death. He carried the AA message, with the help of Sister Ignatius, to 5,000 alcoholic men and women who have all given the medical services without thought of charge. That is, what an amazing testament to this program, right? Those who recover are people who... Those who don't recover, people cannot or will not complete. This is a guy who does the opposite. He gave his life to it. Hi, Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Um, something that kind of stood out to me as we were reading this, um, and especially the part where he talks about graduating summa cum laude in the, in the eyes of the drinking fraternity, um, made me think about, like, my early drinking career and how, like, I, like, I look back now, and it, it's crazy to me the stuff that I kind of wore as a badge of honor back then, um, and, like, now I look at it and, like, I think of how embarrassed I am by a lot of my behavior. But, like, back when I was in my active addiction and active drinking, like, it was, like, 
oh, I got a DUI this weekend. I'm part of the club now. Like, and it's like, <laughs> like that's not a club I really want to be a part of. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, seeing the other side of, of Dr. Bob's story and like what it's going to look like afterwards because I'm sure he didn't end up going through this and doing all of this because it kept going along this way for him. You know, like that it, I'm sure that there's going to be a point where it's going to turn around. So um, that's all I've got. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for sharing. I like the fact that they talk about him being raised in a, in a really religious, spiritual family and his aversion to it. It reminds me a little bit of Fitz Mayo's experience, you know? It doesn't matter the, the lifestyle or the religious upbringing of, of the behaviors of my parents and my family. You know, if you suffer from the phenomenon of craving, hence you're an alcoholic, no matter what happens, if you start drinking, you're eventually going to end up being a full-blown alcoholic. Um, it's the things that give us an excuse to drink that we have differences in, but we all have that one thing in common, that phenomenon of craving. And we see that happening just out of college. I think mine kicked in when I was like 14 or 15. Mm. Mental, no, that's when I started drinking socially. <laughs> um, the physical, the mental obsession for me didn't really kick in until 19, 18 or 19. So I had a lot of years of you know, just a successful alcoholic binging and then working. But, uh, boy, when I went to college and I signed up for a year, I went there for a year and I made three classes that year. Ooh. Three one-hour classes. And, and I got that same little letter. Thank you very much. But Did they attempt to struggle on without your presence? Oh, they were happy, you know. They could, yeah, so. All right, we got Rob. Hey, Rob. Rob, recovered alcoholic. Hey, Rob. Uh, there's a lot I relate to in these couple of pages here. Um, and much like you, Mike, I had a similar experience in college and, and like Dr. Bob here. Uh, I often have said I learned a lot in college in like the semester and a half they allowed me there. Um, but none of it really uh, occurred in a dormant, or, I'm sorry, in the classroom. Um, <laughs> and I really, that's when my alcoholism took off and you know, that's where I learned learned to drink, even though I was drinking um, uh, in my teenage years, much, much younger than that. But, um, you know, me too. It, it says it in the forwards, you know, alcohol being no respecter of persons, right? So it doesn't matter where you come from, what upbringing. Like, I'm not alcoholic because my mom sat me on the toilet seat backwards or any of that other stuff or... You know, I've been seeing these memes about childhood trauma going around. That's the root of all addiction. And, I, you know, for me, that wasn't the case, you know. And um, I had a great upbringing. Like, my parents did as much as they could do, you know. Uh, they did the best they could with what they had. And um, my my dad, too, he was a religious fanatic. So I can relate to um, Dr. Bob's, you know, all these different appointments and prayer groups and Sunday school and church obligations that he was, you know, sounding like he was dragged against his will to go to. And, uh, you know, when my parents divorced, I was nine or so. And, and at that point, you know, my mom said to her four children, all right, well, you know, if you want to go to church, it's now your choice. So I was like, well, screw that. Like I, I hated going there anyway. So, uh, you know, and, and even at, a young age, you know, I, I could see like the hypocrisy, what seemed to me like the hypocrisy in the church of like, you know, what the message the preacher was trying to teach and then what I saw around me from both 
my father himself and, you know, other people in the church and, and the way they behaved. And, um, you know, it talks about it in we agnostics that um, we miss the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees, you know, and that was my story. You know, I, I could pick these things out, um, you know, the church people just being flawed humans like myself come to find out, but it wrote off entire religions because of that. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I got back into AA and was, you know, got into AA um, and got beat to that, um, that place where I was willing to be open to the idea of spirituality again that I, that I came back to um, find a power greater than myself. And, um, you know, this, uh, this idea, um, you know, of, of the, the upbringing and, and everything like that. Like I can just definitely relate to that. And, you know, that's why I always try to share that in my story. And that's why I appreciate the way Dr. Bob shared that because it really truly is not, uh, about my upbringing, why I'm alcoholic. You know, he talks about never getting a headache or, you know, maybe I had a, a genetic predisposition to this. Maybe I had a compromised, uh, pancreatic liver system I was born with, whatever the case may be. I don't know, but I also had that, you know, never hung over, never sick, um, that, that type of thing. And, um, it, it's just funny looking back all the different signs that I had pointing to like, you're an alcoholic that I just refused to see, you know, and I didn't even really understand what alcoholism was until I got here, you know, and I learned about that mental obsession and that phenomenon of craving and that soul sickness that's inside of me. And uh, I'm just grateful for the program for, uh, teaching me what I have and then showing me how to recover from this thing. So, uh, I'm going to keep coming back. Thanks. Thanks, Ron. Alcohol is officially, scientifically registered as a depressant. Normal people drink, and they calm down, and they get tired and groggy. I would drink, and perhaps some of you would drink. Like, I would go meet my friends for pre-drinking at their house. We were going to go disco dancing back when we did that stuff, you know? And we'd show up to the house, and we'd you know, they'd do the Chardonnays, and I'd bring out the schnapps <laughs> and the Goldschlager, not endorsing that. But uh, they would, by the time we're ready to go clubbing, they're all sitting back just going like, mm, we're just going to stay home and watch South Park. And, and, I, and I, like, without even doing additives, I was jacked up, ready to go out and do stuff. You know, I knew from an early age that, it, that I reacted differently than everybody else. And there wasn't even that phenomenon of craving yet. It's just that, now, I had issues that had a good reason to have a drinky too, drinker poo, you know? I felt, <laughs> I felt uncomfortable around people. I, 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 was, I was bad at school. I was bad at sports. Um, I, I had a mouth that kept getting me in trouble. And uh, so I was always very uncomfortable with people. But one or two drinks, and I was there. You know, I could be comfortable with these people. But then I was hanging around the people that suffered with the phenomenon of competitive drinking. Like, we're not going out to have a couple drinks. Let's go out and get shit-faced, right? You know, junior high and high school, that's what the whole thing was to get drunk and stuff. And then I reached that age where I didn't want to get that drunk. But by that time, the phenomenon of craving had come in. And I went and, you know, I wanted to have just a couple of drinks because I knew that would calm me out. Just like everybody else, non-alcoholics. You feel uncomfortable, you have a drink. Ah, I'm tall, I'm smart, and they're dumb. And you have a marvelous time at the party, right? <laughs> but I have a couple of drinks, and what gets triggered? 
phenomenon of craving. And then I keep, that's the, hence the problem, you know? Just because I had reasons to drink doesn't make me alcoholic. It's the fact that I drank and I couldn't stop. That's the problem. And we see that happening in Dr. Bob. By the way, does that scare anybody? This guy can't make it as a salesman, so he goes to medical school? The <laughs> 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 guy who, who can't keep a job because he's a drunk, so what does he do? I'm going to go become a doctor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Somebody else, please. In, uh, in, <laughs> Somebody else take the mic. In Bill's story, we got the alloy of drink and speculation where he commenced to forge the weapon that would in its flight like a boomerang and cut him to ribbons. I wonder what the alloy was for Dr. Bob. Did anybody pick that out? Ooh. It's like a medical school and fraternity drinking. Maybe. I don't know. Um, one thing I've noticed that both Bill and Bob had an ability to commandeer audiences and be organizers and, and sort of rise to the level of, of leaders in other area, which is kind of cool. You know, God does that sneaky... You know, clickety-clickety-click, and they get two opposite guys, a guy who's spiritually, you know, hungry like Dr. Bob and Bill who wasn't, and they get them together to give us this, this situation. You know, they both come from dynamic, you know, different lifestyles. Bill was a broken home, doesn't believe in, in God, and has no drinking in his life. You know, early on, his parents shunned him, and he grew up in a town, you know, spiritually just, you know, as spiritual as you can get as a kid, you know, as one could be. And yet they both ended up alcoholics and fast friends. We got Mark over here. I'm Mark, alcoholic. Hey, Mark, Mark. welcome. Um, my whole life seemed to centered around doing what I wanted to do without regard for the rights, wishes, privileges of anyone else, <coughs> a state of mind which became more and more predominant over as the years passed. Um, and that... You know, that was my state of mind when I came to AA, and I didn't even realize that that was wrong. That was, uh, you know, they talk about self-propulsion. If you would ask me before I got here, that's how I got things done. That's how I functioned. I had, I had nothing else, and it was me. And um, it's a sad state. Of affairs, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous and they started talking about this self-absorbed, egocentric, you know, self-bondage, I, I uh, first time I ever took a true look at myself, and uh, it was started to get explained to me that was that was why I had all these problems, and uh, and that is basically since I had all these problems because of this is why I'm drinking, and it just got worse. And um, so the first thing I had to do was obviously quit drinking, but then work on that state of mind, the manner of living, which causes that state of mind. And um, been pretty interesting. Uh, it, it's still, a, you know, I think when I, I got here when I was 48, so I don't think that that goes away quickly. And uh, it's a process, and it's gotten much better, um, much better. Uh, but... Uh, it's funny how, uh, man, and, and I was raised kind of like Dr. Bob was in uh, very uh, normal upbringing. My father was actually an AA since I was five, and uh, so they were teaching me the right things to do and modeling it, actually, and I just wasn't, you know, I guess I was getting some of it. I guess I could fall back on it now, but as I started drinking, it was not a... Not a part of my life. 
but I, I wasn't using it, I guess you would say. Yeah. And, you know, as God became more, at, more in my mind, um, the self disappears or goes away. And that's uh, been the way it works. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, yeah, If you turn to page 18, it talks, you know, when they talk about alcoholism, and this is what, basically what he was also referring to, it brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted friends and employers, warped lives of blameless children, wives and parents, anyone can increase the list. You know, when we're in the throes of alcoholics, al- alcoholism, damned everybody else, I need to get what I'm going to get. And, and, and I, as long as I give you some table scraps, I think I'm being a good person. And like Mark, you know, I was raised with some really great families, mm-hmm. you know, high moral standards, integrity, honesty, which I'm hopefully able to put to use today because once I sobered up and I started working a program getting connected to God, some of that stuff that I learned from my father just starts coming out naturally. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is the stuff that, that at time I was like, wow, 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 you know, like this, the, what is it, the Charles Schwartz? You know, that's what I heard from my parents all those years. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, I'm sober, and I'm practicing the things that my father taught me. And he's, it's, it's just so cool. There's, this is not a hopeless situation. We can flip this around and become better people. Cool. And they have, they have this saying, what, that alcohol is the solution. It wasn't my problem. It was my solution. And what's a panacea, right? That's the solution. It's the solution for everything, right? And he would One or two drinks, maybe three drinks, would have been the solution all the time, right? Uh-huh. Unless we were hanging out with those guys who were, like, competitive drinking frats and stuff like that but boy when i just wanted to go out for a couple of knob creeks some filet mignon and be home by 9 30 for a business meeting the next day well i came home a couple days later and the business meeting had failed (laughs) that's alcoholism so we gotta he hasn't even started doing the non-conference approved stuff so dr bob's just learning how to drink he's just he's getting warmed up for which is ironic if you look at dr bob's story and bill's story how many people are under 25 in this room? Yeah, <laughs> under 30? You know, and, and like you go to South Florida, and most of the rooms are a bunch of youngins, right? Mm. If, if Dr. Bob had, they, somebody once said if Bill W. had been introduced to the folks in South Florida, he would have been an and a two. <laughs> he would have been an alcoholic and a drug addict, too, because there's just too much fun down here for other stuff, so... <laughs> Thank goodness we're in Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Can we talk about that openly and freely? So we're going to wrap up the meeting now. Let's give, uh, let's give Brandon a round of applause for some good reading today. I'd like to welcome make sure everybody comes and checks us out next, next time around. But we got some, some house cleaning to do before we're out of here. Closing guide. You want to start us out there? Sure thing, Mike Chase. From A Vision for You, page 164. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This Uh, is the great fact for us. Yes, and abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you'll surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group members' sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Does anybody here have a new sponsee that they would like to introduce? Excellent. Come on up. Let's get you that. Want to give her the fuzzy stick? I sure will. Testing one, two. Everybody pray for... For Mike S.'s speedy recovery, okay? I know I will be. (laughs) 
I think you're doing just fine. Hi, I'm a recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hey, Kelly. Hi. Um, I had a young lady approach me a few weeks ago, and she was very, very nervous, and I'm very honored and very humbled. She's decided that we have what she wants, and we have done steps one, two, and three, and we are commencing right away to do step four, and I'd like to introduce Megan. All right, Megan. We got her. Anyone else tonight? We got Tanisha. You, you remind me of the grapevine tonight. Oh, thank you. Well, I have the honor and the privilege to actually be sponsoring Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer, way. I got some good stuff to say. Okay, say some nice stuff still. No, she's, she's like, really, you know, straightforward, um, wants to do what we do. Um, we haven't actually had the time, but we've got to chill, go to a meeting, hang out, get to know each other. And, you know, I really do look forward to working with you. Not only, you know, to help you, but you're helping me as well. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I met this guy, gosh, a year, it seems like many years ago, I've been him a year ago, um, saw him in his ins and outs of in and out of rehab and whatnot, and uh, had the opportunity to, to do a sit-in because his sponsor had gone out of town to read the book with him, and it was one of those, it's like, well, let's just read it again, let's just, and next thing you know, it's like, well, how are we going to tell your sponsor that I'm sponsoring you now? <laughs> it was like, but it's worked out magnificent. He's through his steps. He's looking to work with newcomers. He's ready to read with people. And this guy is going to be a magnificent child of God. He's getting on his way. And Tanner. <laughs> that, that happens a lot. Oh, my God. I love being 60. So does anybody have a year or more of continuous sobriety that they want to talk about today? A medallion-ish type thing? Nope. So next, anybody, maybe next week want to get a medallion? Put your little paws up. Okay, cool. So. Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Anybody flying sponsorless tonight? Or a small book sponsor. No, everyone's got a sponsor. Amazing. And the recovery. So we got a good, we, hopefully, let's get some new sponsors in here, sponsees in here. You guys bring your sponsees, get this, get some fresh people in here. I heard tell we your, Tell your dual diagnosed folks we can talk about non-conference approved stuff for a couple of weeks. They'll be getting a kick out of that. If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting and fill out a membership card, or you can also join us tonight for our business meeting if you're already a member. Yes. Vestigial or otherwise. Vestigial or otherwise. Can all home group members raise your hands? We'll see you guys to help tear down. We're going to have a quick business meeting. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for joining us tonight. Hope to see you next week. But let's not forget, this Thursday downstairs in the big fellowship room is our Thursday night Alcoholics in God's Step Series workshop. We still have Peter M. from Boca. He's on his eighth session starting at 7.15. Of course, show up at 5.15. Help us set the room up. Get to know people. Have some conversations. Gives you an opportunity to talk about that stuff that you really shouldn't talk to a whole room full of people, but you can talk to individuals. And starting getting in that third legacy, you know, the third part of the triangle, the fellowship. That's how it all starts to happen. Please wait until you're 75 feet away from the doors to vape or smoke with cigarettes. And if you're going to help tear down the room tonight, we do let you go out on the balcony to vape. 
-hmm. so you can come back in and help us set the room up. So we're going to close now with the Lord's Prayer. Everybody just takes a moment and gets really comfortable. We'll get that up and running. And who's going to bring us from shame to grace? Our Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us.
angels and sounds and oh when you're smiling when you're smiling When you laughing, ba 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 ba. When you laughing, yes, the sun comes shining through. But when you crying. Sighing, baby, and be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling. Keep on smiling, baby, and I hope. This little light of mine, I'm 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Broken man, I travel far and wide through the great divide through his own heart. Yeah, well, I have a life today when it's give away and it's just about to start. So I face each day. Brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Just won't say.